This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. So today I am speaking with Jen Reddish. She is a registered master therapeutic counselor at the Essence of You in Calgary, Alberta. Her focus is on motherhood, perinatal mental health, birth preparation, birth processing, and body image. She offers a workshop on coping with anger and rage. And so I thought you would be the perfect person to talk to about this topic. So today we're talking about anger and rage in motherhood. Before we get into that topic, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family, and what you do in your practice. Sure. Thanks, Renee. So yeah, as you said, I'm a registered master therapeutic counselor. I've been working as a counselor for almost 11 years and started my career working in trauma and addiction for the first seven years. And then when I became a mother myself, I decided to specialize in maternal mental health just because through my own experiences of trying to conceive and miscarrying and experiencing pregnancy and birth and postpartum, I became extremely passionate about those phases of life. And I actually briefly considered like aborting my counseling career to become a birth doula. But then I realized that I still really loved being a counselor. So that's kind of how my own private practice was birthed, so to speak, was through like the merging of these two passions. And I also, in my work in trauma and addiction, I always worked in residential treatment centers for those first seven years and just was exposed to, like I would arguably boldly say that there's like no issue that I haven't come across in those seven years of working so intensively with my clients on mental health issues across the board and I got like gifted with really great training and experience from so many different talented therapists that I worked with there. So then when I decided to specialize in maternal mental health I did a lot of reading and a lot of learning and some more specialized training in the perinatal period in maternal mental health and yeah so that's how I started my private practice. I have two kids myself so I have a two and a half year old and a five and a half year old right now. And as far as the topic of anger and rage goes, when I was learning about it in terms of uh, like perinatal mental health, I only learned about it as a symptom of like a diagnosable mood disorder. Mm, Interesting. Yes. And like the books I read and the training I did didn't talk about rage or anger as a common experience in motherhood. And when I was doing all of that learning, like my little guy was under one and I fortunately didn't have those intense feelings of anger and rage at that phase of his life. So I didn't know from personal experience then. But then when he turned one and I started seeing clients in my practice, I'd say like easily 90 or 95% of the women who were walking into my office were talking about these intense and uncontrollable feelings of anger and rage. Not even necessarily towards their kids, but towards their husbands or just like encompassing so much of themselves and their experience as they transitioned into those early years of motherhood. And I realized that 
like I needed to make space just like you are doing right now to talk about it because everybody not only was saying that they felt these horrible feelings of anger and rage, but they also felt so much shame and isolation. Like nobody else feels this way. I don't see anybody else yelling at their kids, husbands or themselves when they stub their toe or whatever. And I knew that they weren't the only ones, but it's so different when you're sitting across from a therapist and they say, this is common versus maybe sitting in a room full of women saying, like saying, I have this experience, I have this experience, I have this experience. And all of a sudden, everybody's eyes open up wide and they say, oh my God, it's not just me. And that shame starts to slowly dissipate alongside like learning skills and tools to cope with it in a way that is more in alignment with your value system. I think that's important too. But just that removal of the isolation and shame, I think is so important because it's real. And now that I have older kids too, and my boundaries have been tested in ways I never thought imaginable, I also like from personal experience know those feelings too. Yeah. It's interesting that you said the stub your toe thing, because a lot of the time I feel like I'll have those intense feelings and it's not even, it's something so silly. Like on the outside, it looks so silly, but it's like you've been vibrating and you know, you're at that level of stress. And then something like that happens, you stub your toe and you have this like big reaction. And usually I'm home alone, but I'm like, really? Like if that happened on any other day, I wouldn't even think twice about it or have any reaction. But like when you're in that, I don't know if it's like a state of mind, you're just more stressed. Yeah, I can definitely relate to the stubbing of the toe or like you hit your elbow. And it's like when you're in that state of mind, it almost seems like you notice all these little things that are going wrong all day. Whereas on a day where it's a good day, I wouldn't think about it, right? But it's like, oh, of course, I'm going to hit my elbow as I'm blow drying my hair and like, so I thought we could start just by describing what anger is and then what rage is and kind of how they're different. Sure. So anger essentially happens as a result of a variety of different things, like whether it's our needs not being met or our wants not being met, our boundaries being pushed and violated. There's so many different things that can lead into these feelings of anger developing. And I think that often anger is looked at as a negative emotion, like we shouldn't feel anger, don't be angry, anger is bad. But really, I think it's important to look at how anger can be a messenger for us and let us know when something's not okay. So if everything's fine, and we are feeling like empowered as individuals, and we're using our power and we're expressing ourselves and we are experiencing our lives like as a emotional person then we're unlikely to have this huge buildup of anger that will either turn into rage when it's built up and suppressed and not expressed appropriately, or we'll internalize it. And often like a variety of physical symptoms result as the internalization of those feelings of rage. But ultimately think about like all of the other describing words that we can use that would fall underneath the anger umbrella frustration, irritated, resentment. That's all that's coming to mind right now, but there's tons of words that we can use to describe uh, those feelings of anger. And I think that a lot of it really does come down to ultimately either not using our power, giving our power away or feeling our power has been taken away from us, feeling like victimized, feeling like we don't have control, feeling powerlessness. And also anger is what's termed as a secondary emotion. 
which means that there is always another feeling beneath anger. And the reason why often we default to anger is because even though anger really comes from that sense of powerlessness, it also like paradoxically gives us feelings of power. Like thinking about how vulnerable do you feel if you sit there and cry in front of somebody or express a feeling of shame or loneliness or anxiety or fear can create a lot of vulnerability. And if you are standing there like solid in your body, either slamming a door, yelling, or talking about how mad you are about something, there is a sense of power even physically that comes with that. Anger like generates heat in our body and kind of gives us feelings of power. When we yell at people or slam a door, people stop and pay attention to us. So often it's easier, like even on a subconscious level, to default into that anger instead of expressing some of the buried feelings that are underneath. It's interesting because it's a release, like you were saying, like if you slam the door, if you like hit the bed or whatever you're doing, it's like a release in that moment. But at the same time, if I know that I'm having a rough day, I'm super irritable, it's also a release when I verbalize that to my husband. It's like, it's out there now. He knows how I'm feeling and, you know, we can kind of get through the evening together. He knows like to help out and like to, you know, take things off my plate if I'm getting stressed. So that is also a release. And I think until you start practicing that, like to verbalize it to your partner or to whoever, you won't see the benefit of, you know, what verbalizing it to someone else can do for you. It's the same as when I have anxiety. It's like as soon as I verbalize it to someone, it's like like a weight off my shoulders. It's like, oof, you know? And I feel like with the anger in the moment to slam the door, to do something, you know, an outward expression of anger that you would expect. It's like a quick release, but then at the same time, it's like, well, now I feel shitty that I just did that. You know, it's like the aftermath of guilt. And I specifically remember like a couple weeks ago, and I contacted you after I had this evening with my toddler, because I was like, <laughs> I need to do an episode about this topic. My husband was at work and it was the evening and all day had just been like from the time I picked him up at daycare, it was like one thing after the next, just like you were saying, they're testing their boundaries and they're just, you know, they can be very special at times. So <laughs> it was like, I got through like the drive home and then I got through, you know, him having to use the potty once we got home and then I got through dinner and then it was like bath time and he was refusing bath time. And how I explained it to my friend is, it's like you have this, like, a hundred points of patience that you can use throughout the day, and they're just being ticked off, ticked off. And and I'm, like, using all my tools in my bag to deal with toddler behaviors, right? And I'm, like, doing this, doing this. And then eventually it just gets to a point where it's, like, you don't know what to do. And like you were saying, you feel powerless. And that's how I felt. And I decided, okay, screw it, we're not going to have bath time I'll just get him dressed, like put on his pull-up, like do our bedtime routine. And then he was screaming and kicking me and like nothing was working. And I just, I remember texting my friend, telling her what was going on. And, and she was like, right now you've reached your point. Like you just need to keep everybody safe. And is your husband going to be home soon? And I was like, yeah, he should be. Just wait. Like, just wait for your husband. And I remember, like, sitting on the floor just crying because I was so upset. I feel emotional just, like, thinking about that night. And 
I just sat there crying. And my, my toddler, you know, he had calmed down now and he's walking around my bedroom, like just like looking at different things, like just totally oblivious to what's happening. Right. And I'm sitting on the floor crying, just waiting for my husband. And then my husband came home and like everything was fine from there. Of course, he happily put on his sleep sack for my husband. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. And I remember thinking like, I don't necessarily have outward expressions of rage, but the internal feelings of what I'm feeling are awful. And it's like you described, kind of like an out of control feeling. And then I think I have enough self-awareness to acknowledge what's happening inside and then to just kind of, okay, I need to like just shut it down. It's almost like a fight or flight Oh yeah, uh, it is a fight or flight response. Yeah, so... That was my big, like most recent experience with having that feeling. And yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I realize that it is common. Like it's very common. Yeah. Yes, it's so common. And I think that like what your story you just shared, I love your friends like advice or support and just I think that what came to mind for me as you were telling that is something I often say to my clients just consider in those moments like what matters most and when we feel that pull into powerlessness or feeling out of control often I think that what happens when we're triggered into anger is for a lot of us myself included we default into wanting to take power over the situation and gain control which with kids well, and adults actually, often results in like this desire or urge to have power over. And when we are in that mentality, like there's then results a power struggle with whoever really at any age, there's going to be a power struggle there. And so you think about like, remind yourself, like something's got to give. So what's it going to be? So is it that I want to continue feeling this way no matter what, like, do we just have to get that sleep cycle on? Do we have to get the bath done no matter what, no matter how much like screaming there is from him or no, or no matter how much internalization of those intense feelings there is for you? Or maybe if you did default into screaming as well or slamming doors or whatever, if you stop and give yourself that opportunity to like regulate, I think that really needs to be the number one skill is learning the skills of like regulating your nervous system. Because like you said, that fight or flight response comes up. And that is where anxiety and intense feelings of anger and rage live is just like, so for those of you who don't know about regulating your nervous system who are listening right now, think about our nervous system has three states of being, which are really designed to help us survive any situation that we come across. So we either have what's called like our ventral vagus part of our nervous system where we are grounded, We feel safe, calm, connected, secure. That is where we are like regulated in our nervous system. Or we have our fight or flight response, which is in our parasympathetic branch, which will come into gear when our brain has detected something in our environment as dangerous or threatening. And then out of our control entirely, just totally subconsciously, it automatically happens. Our brain identifies something as dangerous or triggering, which may or may not be rationally true, but our brain has decided that, sends a message to our nervous system and our nervous system switches into gear to keep us alive. And so maybe it's a kid not putting their pajamas on or not putting their shoes on or not eating or not getting the bathroom or whatever. Or maybe it's like there's a bear trying to attack you. It doesn't matter. Your body body is actually responding in the exact same way. 
So if you're going to default into that fight or flight response, intense feelings of anxiety, anger, rage, or the other survival responses in like your dorsal vagal where you shut down, can't cope, kind of if things get too overwhelming, that fight or flight, you'll go into that zone and just like disconnected, numb, zoned out. And we often shame ourselves for having these responses like, oh, I don't know why I can't do that. I don't know why I just can't calm myself down. Why do I go from zero to 100 in an instant? Or why do I get so shut down that I just like can't even get out of bed? And we create all of this shame around it. We're just like, wow, how cool is my body that it's like trying to protect me and keep me alive no matter what. And we're never going to be without those responses because our nervous system is never going to stay in one of those three zones all the time. Like it needs to change and it's going to react to the stimuli in our environment. So when we can first and foremost learn some emotional regulation skills to like really learn what gets us into that zone of regulation into our ventral vagus the fastest, that's like needs to be number one. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. 
Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. So what are some common things that you recommend to get to that, like to regulate in the moment? So it's going to be different for everybody. So I'd encourage everyone to experiment with different things with like the key focus on what works the fastest. And we can even distract ourselves into regulation as long as we circle back to what the trigger was initially. Because I think that if like, let's say uh, I'm really escalated in the moment and I feel like I'm going to start yelling or something's going to happen and I don't want to and I notice it and I catch it in time and maybe I'm like, okay, maybe I'll see if I have any like emails or maybe someone's like signed up for a workshop and that will make me feel good for a moment. And that's actually what I do is I like pick up my phone. I'm like, oh, uh, has anybody booked into my next workshop coming up? And then if they have, then it's like, yes, I feel good. And then I can put my phone down, take a breath and give myself a little reality check. Also, something like maybe a little bit healthier is I'll look outside or I'll like go outside. Definitely connecting to our breath, which sometimes doesn't work super fast for a lot of people. Sometimes it can be too hard to catch your breath because when you're feeling anxious and really escalated, often our breath is fast and short and shallow. But really developing a skill of deep breathing is going to eventually lead you into success with regulating because there's actually like our vagus nerve is beneath our diaphragm. So when we can breathe deeply and slowly enough into our diaphragm, it actually touches the vagus nerve, which will help stimulate that regulation. There's a few other like tricks to help stimulate the vagus nerve that you can Google if you want to, but that's one that I know for sure about. So if you want to experiment with some breath work, like something that can be really helpful is to open up your chest cavity. So like put your hands behind your head and just really help yourself to like naturally and slow, naturally slow your breath down and deepen your breath. Cause the more open your chest is, the deeper your breath is going to go into your lungs and then bring your hands onto your hips and just really consciously breathe deeply into that diaphragm. And for anyone listening right now, if you want to experiment with that in this moment, like I would almost guarantee that you're going to notice a calming effect on your body if you do do it really consciously. Anything that helps you to like really ground yourself. So if you think about that in a really practical sense, putting your feet on the floor and really feeling your feet like alternating pressure, maybe sitting on the floor, especially when you're dealing with kids and that like power struggle with kids. If you can bring yourself down to the ground, it's going to do two things. One is it's going to help you to engage with your physical senses and help to like ground yourself onto the earth. And the more physical senses that you can engage with, like even if you think about our five senses of sight, smell, hearing, taste, and like physical touch, that's going to help to bring us into the here and now and help us to regulate quickly as well. But when we come down to the ground in front of our kids, then we're usually closer to eye level. And if we are doing that, they're going to naturally do it too. It's just like what's called co-regulation. If we can regulate, then they're going to be coming into that zone of regulation faster. It is like apparently like scientifically impossible to help our kids regulate when we're dysregulated. 
I think about that a lot in these difficult moments. And I always say like when he escalates, I like de-escalate because I don't want him to feed off me and to get more and more and more and more because, you know, just from past experience, if he is escalating and you do something that he doesn't like, you know, like raise your voice or whatever it is, he just gets like worse and worse. So I try and like completely de-escalate and then usually it doesn't last very long. But something else in these horrible moments where it's just like never ending, never ending, it doesn't stop. I always try and use empathy, like think about his perspective and like how he's having a difficult time. And that usually helps me. And then also thinking about how this situation is very temporary. You know, even if it does last for a couple more hours or whatever it is, like eventually, you know, in that situation that I spoke about, my husband's going to be home and I'm going to have someone here helping me and this is going to be over and I'm going to talk about it on a podcast, you know? <laughs> yes, which is great, but you need to actually like be regulated to even have access to your rational mind. Think about like if we're dysregulated, we can't rationalize, not with ourselves. We can't, don't even have that opportunity to do the reality check. And that's just another survival mechanism. Like if I was about to be attacked by a bear and I was taking the time to consider rationally, like <laughs> how big is he versus me? And <laughs> how far do I have to run or whatever? Then I would probably die. Yeah. But if I'm like just either engaged in that fight or flight response and I just go on my instincts, all my blood is in my extremities and I just run or I like fight back or I pull out the bear spray or whatever it is, or I default into that freeze mode and then my body might survive an attack, then that's great. And that's what I need. So that like form of dysregulation when there's an actual threat is so great. But when there's not an actual threat, we really do need to focus on, sorry, there may be an actual threat. I don't want to like minimize what it's like to be like screamed at by a child or <laughs> to be triggered in any situation in our roles as mothers in or outside of our children. But when we realize like our safety is not at risk right now, and I can take the time to regulate first, then at that point, whether it's a few seconds later or a few minutes later after I get into that zone of regulation, then I can do that rational reality check of like, okay, what matters most? Something's got to give. What's it going to be? This is temporary. This is just happening right now. There's more to like my life than this moment, like all those things that you just said. A huge thing, and it's kind of like the advice my friend gave me in that moment was like, what is the number one priority right now? You know, I'm like super elevated. When I was trying to deal with him, he was like throwing himself and, you know, you worry about their safety. And so she's like, all that matters right now is that you're just keeping both of you safe. And I was like, wow, that's a really good way to put it. And I think what really, and I'm sure so many people can relate to this, is that when you're in these moments, I'm so focused on, okay, how am I supposed to react in this situation to like, develop his social, like emotional, you know what I mean? Like you're thinking about all these things that you're not going to be able to react perfectly in these situations. And so I think what happens is you try and use these tools that, you know, you read about or you've learned about, which are great in most situations, but in these very high stress situations, you're throwing out these tools and they're just not working, not working. And your frustration gets worse and worse. And you're like, okay, but 
they told me when, you know, he's having a tantrum to give him an option and then he's going to choose one and everything's going to be fine. So like, now what? Now what? Like you're using all these things and nothing's working. So it's yes. like, it's like, just keep everybody safe. Okay. Well, I can, do, I can do that. Now I feel good. Yeah. Exactly. And also going back to that, like dysregulation and inability to rationalize, if they're super dysregulated and having a tantrum, like... I would argue that's not the time to give them a choice because they can't rationalize and be like, hmm, okay. It's just like you're starting to get a little bit dysregulated. There's some frustration building. Maybe there's a window there. But often like a lot of these like tools, like parenting tools in that sense are like work best as a preventative measure, not as a reactionary measure. And so think about like, oh, I'm going to forget who said this. There is somebody... I'll try to find who it is for you later, who talks about the three R's in parenting. And it's to first regulate and then reconnect like with your child and then go into rationalizing or reasoning. And it needs to happen in that order. Just even thinking about like how our brains work because often like, you know, let's say like for me with my kids, my older son will be like, I don't know, trying to hit or squash or steal a toy from his younger brother And I want to, in those moments, just like have power over the situation and be like, no, stop, don't. But if he's already dysregulated and doing it in like a erratic way, let's say, if I jump into like trying to give a lesson there, it's not going to sink in. Like, so if I can, if he, whatever, hits or someone's screaming or crying, think about like, okay, I want to teach him that that's wrong. And I want to give him that lesson. I want to tell him it's not okay for him to like scream or hit me or throw things or hit his brother or whatever's going on but really that's not the time to do it because he's not going to learn the lesson then I need to focus on regulating him first and how do I do that I can't do it if I'm not regulated so I think these like three r's can be need to be applied to ourselves first so first regulate myself I can sometimes depending on what's going on regulate myself and my kids at the same time And like you and whoever's listening will probably find that as well. You can experiment with different ways of doing it simultaneously. But then the reconnect part, also, it's not only about reconnecting to your child and like kind of when I say reconnect, just think about forgetting about the issue for a minute. So it might be like, hey, uh, like what's this rock? Like look at the colors on this rock right now. And what do you like about the shape of that? Or like, let's lay on the floor for a minute. Or what was your favorite thing you did yesterday? You might be like totally distracting and reconnecting there. Or depending on how dysregulated they are initially, once they're regulated, you might go into like acknowledging and validating their experience. Like, wow, you got really mad when whatever happened. And then you started to scream. But before I do that with him again, for me to stay regulated, I also need to reconnect with myself. So something that I focus a lot on in my practice is like what's called reparenting yourself. So as I've mentioned before, sometimes we get triggered like in our bodies into thinking something's dangerous or threatening and our life is at risk when it's not. And when that happens, often what's going on is that there's a trigger that's reminding us of something in our past. So like maybe I like grew up in a house with a lot of yelling and screaming. And so when my child yells and screams at me, it reminds me of that, like even on a subconscious level. And when I was a little kid being yelled and screamed at and there was doors being slammed and whatever else is going on, that was unsafe for me. And so if I see my kids doing that, which is like has in the realms of developmentally normal for them. 
I can't just like as an adult woman be like, oh, yes, my child is drawing something because he hasn't learned how to regulate yet. And that's fine. And I can just be calm and zen and whatever. It's like at the same time as I'm observing that, my brain is also going back into these traumatic memories of my own. And that is where that trigger into that fight or flight or freeze response will come from. And so when I talk about reparenting ourselves, I really feel like it's a key part into uh, like resolving some of these issues of anger in the long term. Because there's lots of things we can do in the short term, regulating, coming into the here and now, doing the reality check, applying some of the tools that we've learned to help our kids settle down too. But ultimately, if we don't do that deeper work into exploring, like, where did that trigger come from in the first place? And what healing do I need to do? Then we're just going to be dealing with the trigger again and again and again and again. So when we can reparent ourselves, like, so reconnecting, like, hey, what part of me is feeling triggered right now? What does this remind me of? How old do I feel? And how can I acknowledge and validate it for myself? That's one of my favorite things to do because I have a background in psychology and I love trying to understand why I feel a certain way in certain situations. Like, why am I irritated? What exactly is going on right now? And then once you figure it out and you verbalize it, you can start to change it. You know, I think a lot of times we feel things and we don't even know why and we don't take time to think about why. Figure out why is so important and can like open up the door to healing and resolving some of those old issues. And then it can like remove the intensity of the trigger in the moment. But also if we jump into the why too soon, then we're like still on our head. We're like, we're triggered, we're dysregulated and we're intellectualizing. And then usually like in our like anxious mind and we're up here and we still can't cope. And I think that once we regulate the next step needs to be just acknowledging and validating, even if we don't have that clarity yet of just like, wow, I am feeling angry, anxious, sad, whatever else is there. And it's okay. And it might not even make sense to me, but something just happened that triggered that for me. And I can support myself in that. And then lead into the rationalizing for myself. And then I can do, do those three steps for my kids as well. And I think that like those three R's for me, it's easy to remember, like, regulate, reconnect, rationalize, do it for myself, do it for my kids. And then we can do the figuring out later. Such a good topic. I love this conversation. Me too. (laughs) My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year. And we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts.
This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. We totally have not been following the outline because that's just how I roll here. We were going to speak about ways to cope or prevent in the short term and then ways to do it in the long term. So you gave us a ton of information, but is there anything in there that we missed that you would want to speak about? So I guess, yeah, like what the short term, I think to frame it that way, really focusing on what regulates you the fastest like we talked about. And so I would encourage everyone listening to just experiment with things that you're already doing and notice what works and what doesn't. Sometimes the ways that we choose to distract ourselves in the moment when we're feeling uh, triggered actually leads to further dysregulation. So pay attention to that. I know a lot of my clients say that like they'll like similarly to me, like, so I go and pick up my phone and see like, is there something exciting or something that will make me feel good on my phone right now? A lot of people like follow shitty people, excuse my language on Instagram. (laughs) So they'll be like, oh, let me like distract myself from this terror that's going on in front of my eyes in my living room and look on Instagram. And it's like, oh my God, I feel so horrible for myself. And look at that person is so much better than me. And then they're like, I'm even more disregulated and I'm going to yell at my kids or my husband or whoever it is. So pay attention to what your defaults are when you are feeling triggered and see like what actually feels good, what doesn't. Like I love your example. You texted a friend who you obviously like consciously chose to text that friend instead of a different one and she really helped you. So pay attention to like who are you leaning on for support, especially in those intense moments and does it make you feel better or not? I think a lot of us accidentally reach out to support for people that we want to be the good people for us and they're just not. So if we're going to like push ourselves further into shame, we're going to be more triggered. We're going to be more likely to act out in a way that is not in alignment with my with our value systems, which I think ultimately anyone who's listening to this right now is here because you want to be living in line with your values and how you are dealing with anger and rage right now doesn't align with that. Yeah. My biggest thing that makes me feel better instantly is like you said, like my husband was working, so I couldn't text him or talk to him, but texting that friend, like if my husband's home and it's happening, like telling my husband, like just having that open line of communication just makes me feel so much better in the moment. But at the same time, like you were saying, you have to find people that, you know, you're able to do that with if that's your way to regulate. Like I said, like anything that's going to ground you. So being outside is usually for the majority of people, something that can really help to ground and regulate you quickly because just like being outside and connected to the earth, connected to nature has like a million benefits to our bodies and our brains and just how we cope. Even as far as like, even if you can't get outside, because maybe that would become more triggering if you are with tiny children that you have to, put clothes on in the middle of winter. 
but just looking outside and like reminding yourself like there's more to like these little four walls and my little square box that I'm living in. Music, like changing your scenery, changing the environment. So if in the moment, like maybe your like kitchen is a mess and something triggered you, it's like, okay, so can I go to another room that's either less messy or a different kind of messy, something to just change the environment of where I'm triggered. Turning music on, like even having a playlist that like really helps you to get into that space of regulation quickly, or maybe turning music off. Maybe for turning a TV on or off. Notice if like sometimes noises, different noises overstimulate you and if sometimes they help to calm you down. I've been practicing or experimenting, let's say, with when Milo comes home from daycare. Well, like I'm working all day, so the TV's never on, but I think we were in a habit of just always having the TV on, like always, when my husband and my son get home and then on the weekend as well. So I've been experimenting with TV off, you know, and it's been so much better and I don't even know why. Like, it's just like, I find if the TV's on, we're kind of like migrating to the living room and we just stay in that room and your focus is in and out of the TV or whatever's playing. And then Milo also realizes that the TV's on. And so then he asks for his movie to be on and it's like, okay, we'll play your movie. And when it's off, it's like, nobody's thinking about the TV. We're in the playroom. We're going outside. Like it's weird how it just can affect your behavior and also my mood. Like I just feel better with not having that background noise on because a toddler and two dogs creates enough noise in the house and I don't want to hear, you know, the TV just blabbling in the background. So I've noticed that recently and I love that I did that little experiment because it's such an easy thing to change. Yes, definitely. And that's what really I think that like I could talk for like an hour straight about different resources that you can experiment with for regulating. But I think ultimately, sometimes trying to learn something new becomes even more overwhelming. And then it's like we're paralyzed. There's like these 20 different things I need to try and then I forget all of them. So I think really paying attention to what is already working and what's already not working as a starting point, because there might be different things that everyone's doing right now. It's like, oh yeah, that actually does help me feel better. So pay attention. Like, what do I do? Who do I talk to that makes me feel good? Helps me come into that space of regulation. What do I do? Who do I talk to that takes me out of it? Yeah. It's being aware of how things are making you feel like we probably randomly had the TV off one evening and I was like, wow, I, you know, looking back on this past evening, I really enjoyed that the TV was not on for whatever reason. And so now I'm trying to do it more. And it's like, yeah, it's confirming what I, you know, initially had thought. So for sure, the longer term ways to cope or prevent anger and rage, we had understanding the root of anger, the boundary setting and using your power. So was the understanding the root kind of like your own childhood and how things can affect you? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, so I'd say that's a part of it, definitely. Like looking at what are these triggers linked to? What does it really remind me of? Like that question I said, how old do I feel right now? What does this remind me of? It doesn't have to be a direct link either. I don't know, maybe a door slamming for somebody who was like in a war that might remind them of like the same jolt of a gunshot. So think about it. it doesn't have to be a direct comparison, but thinking about like how you feel and respond in your body. When have you in the past felt and responded like that before? Just like thinking of people who have uh, 
experienced physical trauma in different ways or abuse in different ways and thinking about how your children re-trigger that too. Like even having a lot of touch from a child or in different ways can really trigger those old memories of past abuse. So I think pay attention to that and be really gentle with yourself. And also looking at what is like the root doesn't have to always be like childhood or past trauma related, even though it often is, but also looking at like, okay, so maybe not having any support at all ever is too much for me to handle. So maybe the root of it isn't just like, okay, so I can regulate, I'm doing this. So I'm putting out fires all day and I'm getting better at managing my emotions in the moment. But then do I have time to stop and think about like you said, like, okay, so I paid attention and the TV is not something that we want to use all the time. And you notice that. So when you can really work on coping in the moment that you can stop and think what needs or wants are not being met right now, what more do I need to be able to survive this or to like thrive in this in a way that actually feels more enjoyable for me? And um, really considering, so boundary setting and using your power, that's where that comes in. Because it's like, well, what needs to change? And maybe if it is an old trigger, that maybe my husband says something to me that triggers something from my past. Maybe my boundary setting is like, hey, like I understand that you're not doing that with malicious intent, but I need you to know that when you say this certain thing to me or look at me in that way, this is what it brings up for me. And I'd like you to be aware of that. And again, that's something that you may not understand in the moment. And so I think someone can say something to you or something can happen. And then you have your defensive reaction initially. Like I always try and not react maybe the way I want to in the moment so that I have time to digest. Why did that bother me so much? You know, exactly. And then going and talking to my husband about whatever it is or whoever said something or did something yes because in the moment you just can't right going back to that like rational opportunity as well but doing that deeper digging later and figuring out like what was this really about and sometimes it is as simple as like okay so I actually need you to start like helping me make dinner or we need to both do laundry or we need to I need to actually go and like have a bath by myself or go for a run or go for a walk like thinking about what are the little things that you can apply using your power, setting those boundaries and making sure those things happen for you. And also looking at like what kind of past stuff needs to be resolved and healed for me to cope with day-to-day triggers more easily. With boundary setting and using your power, I could talk about that for hours too. Again, like going back to starting with what is already happening for you, I'd encourage you to pay attention to like when you are doing something that feels empowering versus feels disempowering. So I think often we're giving our power away without noticing it. Like, what do you feel like for dinner tonight? And maybe I already know why I like really want pizza. Always, always want pizza. I guess that's me (laughs) (laughs) me too and then I never actually say I want pizza then I'm never getting pizza and that's like one like little example of ways that I disempower myself and be like oh hey I feel like pizza tonight so I'm gonna order it or I'm gonna make it or how about you make some pizza or go pick some pizza because that's what I feel like right now that's like a really simple like casual example of using our power versus giving it away like oh I feel really cold it's cold in here And like hoping somebody goes and closes the window. Or like, hey, I'm feeling cold. I'm going to close the window. And you may or may not choose to check out if everyone's okay with that or not. 
But yeah, the using your power thing versus giving your power away is something definitely worth exploring and paying closer attention to. And that's like the boundary setting and use your power is a huge thing that I focus on in my workshop on this topic. Because I just think that ultimately when we are looking at long-term changes to how we experience anger and really prevent rage, because we can prevent, I think we can live our lives without rage and resentment when we adequately use our power and set boundaries and like honor our own worth. But anger is important and natural. And we will always at some points ebb and flow in and out of anger, which I see as a very positive thing because it's a tool, it's insight, it's information that something needs to change. A lot of people talk about the toxic positivity and all this stuff. And it's anything that is not positive, like happy, excited, you know, it's like we try and just not feel it. If we're sad, if we're anxious, if we're angry, it's like that's seen as bad. And like, how do I get rid of it as quickly as possible? And it's like, no, try and understand it and, you know, use it as information as to what's going on and what makes you feel that way. This was not on our outline, but I'm just curious because of the pandemic and people, you know, living in lockdown and in quarantine, have you had more interest in the workshop and just people reaching out and having this issue? Because I feel like it would be more prevalent nowadays. The Anchor and Rage workshop has always been my most popular since I started doing it like five-ish years ago. And I guess I increasingly do more of them, which I haven't actually lined up if that's been pandemic related or not. I feel like I've done more of them as I started doing them online a couple of years ago when just like more and more people find out about them. And I also have it like a recorded version of it available just for purchase and like self-paced access now too. But I'd say that something that has definitely increased in interest since the pandemic is like my workshop on managing anxiety. Definitely. And I think that often people, again, going back to that shame, I think that for a lot of people saying like, I feel anxious, I have anxiety, often feels less shaming than like, I have rage issues. I know. It's like there's like this stigma about it because I remember I haven't experienced that intensity very much. But when I do, and I think the first time was, it was within the first 12 months of my life. I think it was when we were trying to do the nap schedules and he was going through a phase of like refusing his nap and it was so frustrating. And then finally I realized like, why am I so stressed about following this exact nap schedule? Like I'm just gonna give us more leeway throughout the day so that when my husband comes home, I haven't spent the entire day being miserable and frustrated because he's not sleeping exactly when I want him to. So like that was huge. And once I changed that, things got a lot better. But when you have those moments, it's almost like you feel embarrassed to talk about it because people assume like, oh my God, you have rage issues. You're going to hurt your child. And it's like, no, like, no. But I think that's what people think. Like, I've been so angry, like going through that nap thing where I was like punched my bed. Milo was in his crib. But like, and I remember thinking like, who am I? Like, why am I punching my bed so hard? Because I'm so frustrated and irritated. And then you feel like, well, if I tell someone that I did that, they're going to think I'm going to hurt my baby. And it's like, it's not related, you know? It's, well, exactly. And 
I think that, again, like that's something that prevents people from reaching out for that topic or talking out about it or talking about it in general because they are worried about being judged or labeled or misinterpreted. And I think that's what often, like when I do my workshop on anxiety too, like people will come there and I naturally will talk about anger and rage as well because anxiety and anger both have that same like underlying feeling of powerlessness and out of control. And often we feel more and more anxious the more we try to control things that are out of our control. And so I'll do that workshop with people and then they're all like, oh, let's do that anger and rage workshop after all. Because again, they already have that experience of being in the group and being like, oh yeah, I'm not the only one who feels anxious and angry and understand how like common it is. And then they'll go and reach out that further support for the anger tools and coping strategies. Yeah. So to end, I thought you could tell us three resources that you would recommend to mothers. So this can be on any topic, a book, a website, anything. So aside from my own website and workshops. <laughs> yeah, those will be in the episode notes. I'm going to link all your stuff so people can find it. Because I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure people are going to be like, a workshop on rage? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially online yeah. where it's like safer. Feel safer. Okay, so a couple books that I really like are, oh, I meant to grab it. But there is a book called Anger by Tichnat Han. And he just talks about anger in a really beautiful and loving way like he has a few meditation outlines in the book it's pretty easy to read he talks about anger in a similar way that I do as far as like really exploring understanding nurturing taking care of our anger I just think that he has a really beautiful approach to it and there's another book by Harriet Lerner on anger which I actually honestly haven't read but everybody tells me that she talks about it in the exact same way as me (laughs) And people often like send me paragraphs. They're like, this is what you said. This is what you said. And I know there's a few other books that Harriet Lerner has written. And she's all women-centered as well. Like she talks about anger as a, in the experience of being a woman. And there's a woman on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Wellynest, W-E-L-L-Y-N-E-S-T. And she's a like, conscious parenting coach. But I really, really love how she talks about parenting because she says like similar things to what I say about as far as if you want to be the parent that you want to be then you have to heal your own stuff and if you want to be able to like treat your children respectfully and have a good relationship with your kids and get your kids to listen then you need to understand what is so hard for you in the moment first so she just has a lot of really great tools like definitely she has great conscious parenting tools and simultaneously she just pairs that with all of this like kind of self nurturing and yeah self-focus as well as like a really big strong point of what she talks about and I really love her account too I'll put that in the episode notes as well and the books also so lastly where can people find you online on Instagram and where can they find the workshops that you offer so my Instagram is at the essence of you counseling And I post a lot of like free info there on like all of these topics pertaining to maternal mental health and body image. And you can find me on Facebook with the same handle. And my website is www.theessenceofyou.ca. And so on Instagram or on my website, you can find all of my like live interactive workshops and my recorded workshops as well. 
Awesome. Well, that's exciting. All of this stuff will be in the episode notes so you can find it easily. Thank you so much for this conversation. I almost had a tear fall down my face, but I didn't. (laughs) It would have been the first time. (laughs) So funny. But yeah, no, I love this conversation. It's so important for people to hear. I do make little promo clips for the episode. So when I publish I'll tag you on Instagram. But yeah, thank you so much. It was nice to meet you virtually and I'm sure we will keep in touch. Yes, great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Have a good day. Me too. Bye. Bye.